Greetings, gamers. I'm Ben Roth. And I'm Skeletroy. And you're listening to Very Good Music, a VGM podcast. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 4-6, and it has been a really, really fun season this time around. I've been getting a lot of really positive feedback about the sort of macro focus we're doing on composers. It's been really fun exploring some of my favorites, as well as a couple of people I wasn't as familiar with, like Ben Daglish, back on the episode with Lee. And then last time, I did our first multi-composer focus of the season. And this time, we are taking it even further, and we are going to be talking about five different composers on this episode. As I uh, think I mentioned last week, Shukapout is actually busy with some band stuff today, so I am joined by a very special guest who is on the show for the second time, and he's going to help me talk about some of these tracks that were picked by himself and his fellow patrons. So, welcome back to the show, Skeletroy. Hello. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you. I know you've been working on some some stuff up there in the Great White North, and so you haven't been your your thrash remix output has not been quite as strong this year, but but you've been telling me that you've got some ideas for some things coming up. What have you been up to? Oh uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on, but uh, <laughs> I mean to be honest, I I kind of filled my quota when uh, I put out that Mega Man X three album. Mm hmm. <laughs> Gosh, it's so hard to believe that was this year. That was a. a a fair amount of songs in a, a pretty quick amount of time, so I was like, ah, I can probably take a break, and then I put out a couple more songs, and I was just like, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, now I'm gonna switch everything around, so, <laughs> yeah, things are still kinda not completely set up yet, but, uh, when they are, oh, things are gonna be so good. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man, both as a listener and um, also as your friend. I know it's nice to, to have things done. It is so hard to believe that that Mega Man X3 album and our two-part episode uh, here on Very Good Music was this year. Uh, like, that just seems like a lifetime ago at this point. Well, uh, well yeah, the, uh, I was kind of surprised when you're like, season four, and I'm just like, wasn't I on season two? <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) The weird thing, though, was, of course, before my seasons were staggered, they weren't actually, like, in the year. I was doing a weird, really weird schedule. So season two actually ended in February of this year, and then season three started in March, um, and I cut it off this summer. But now I've got a nice, sort of nice, neat setup where season... The odd season is the first half of the year, and the even season is the second half of the year, and I think that's how that's how I'm going to keep it. So, nah, yeah, keep it simple. But it is uh, it has been crazy, and it's been um, it's been an up and down year for us as well. This summer, honestly, there were a couple of times when I wasn't sure if we were going to be coming back for season four. But Shukapau was really eager to keep going, and honestly, I have had a lot of support. Uh, just both from my fellow listeners in the VGM community, other podcasters, and especially um, 
all the patrons, uh, you included, sir. And this episode is our sort of seasonal thank you to the folks who keep the lights on. <laughs> and I sent out a shout out on Discord and on Patreon and asked my patrons to share some who they thought were kind of unsung composers, or composers who either just due to the volume of their work or due to the, um, the recognition level of the games they composed for weren't weren't on the same sort of level of, of notoriety as people like Yoko Shimomura, Nobuo Ematsu, Koji Kondo, uh, or Western composers like Grant Kirkhope, Austin Wintry, Mick Gordon. And so I got back a pretty eclectic little group of, uh, of folks who you and I are going to talk about this evening. So, Yeah, and I thought that uh, the Patreon poll was kind of funny. Any time <laughs> that you include the option, all of the above... I think most people are going to pick it. Yeah, and I think I knew that too, and that's probably why I included it. Once I saw <laughs> once I actually had the list there, I was like, you know what? Well, number one, <laughs> I'm honestly not sure I could do a whole episode on any of these composers. There is, There are two exceptions that I'll talk about when we get there, but these guys just really don't have the same... Their discography is not the same size as the other composers we're talking about this season. Well, no, and I mean, that's the thing, like, when you talk about somebody like Yoko Shimomura, like, she's got such a huge body of work that, you mm -hmm. know, like, and, I, like, there's so many great songs that even the ones that aren't, like, there's there's enough good songs that that doesn't matter. Right. Uh, this is almost, like, the, uh, the equivalent of, like, your radio, like, one-hit wonders. Mm-hmm where they've got that one or two really good songs, and then the rest of the output's just, eh, it's okay. Yeah. But at the same time, with some of them, it, like, it, it just seems like they haven't put out enough work to, you know, yeah. to be able to get to that level yet. I think so. I think so. I think uh, if, if I were going to do a full... Uh, a full episode on, for example, our our first uh, composer we're talking about, Mike Beckett. Um, it, I would have to resort to playing some just pretty good music, but of course, our number one rule <laughs> is everything has to be very good music. And so, I do think that we that we definitely kept up, uh, or we're following that rule today. So, oh, definitely. So the way that I did this is for a couple of these composers, the uh, the patron who chose them recommended a song for us to play and so I'll be playing that song and on some of them uh, a song wasn't wasn't requested specifically and so I listened through and picked out a song myself and Skeletroy has picked the other half so every composer has at least one song picked by Skeletroy and for his own selection for the poll um, he actually is picking both songs so why don't we go ahead and get started with the music and so as we go through, um, we're I'm going to be eschewing the usual format of listing the publisher system year uh, and and all that for each game, and we're just going to mention the game and the name of the t of the track. I will still have all of that info in the show notes, and for some of them, we'll be mentioning them just sort of tangentially as we talk about them. But uh, for the most part, we're just going to be talking about the um, the composer, the game, and the track. But our first composer was chosen by patron Forrest Shamlian. Uh, this is Mike Beckett. 
And Forrest's chosen track is from a game that was one of his favorite games growing up. The game is called Bugdom. And we are going to listen to the track called Night. was Night from the game Bugdom, composed by Mike Beckett, and this composer was suggested to us by Forrest Shomlian. That was pretty neat. It was. I think neat is a, is a very good word for it. And most of the music from Bugdom is. It's, it's sort of between ambient and the sort of really melody-forward music that composers like Koji Kondo were famous for. It's well put together. I think that this game came out around the, the around the year 2000, and so for the time, it's a very nice sounding track. But it's just it's a really solid piece of music. I think it evokes the idea of night pretty well. Do you have any thoughts about like the instrumentation? Uh, so yeah, like uh, the first thing that kind of grabbed me was just that uh, you know that driving sort of you know just forward mm-hmm. momentum. Uh, I really dug that, and then that, uh, like, the low piano part comes in. And I thought that was kind of cool, because it gets a little dark, which, for night, makes Mm -hmm. sense. Uh, but then the high piano part came in, and it sounded really hopeful. So, like, it it was a really neat juxtaposition. It was. I think if this song were to paint a picture that the high piano would almost be like, like, the stars. Like, the lights in the night sky. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, really nice. Mike Beckett is the composer I, I think I found the least about online. Uh, he was active from 1998 to 2008, didn't compose a whole lot of games. I believe he is a Canadian composer. Um, he worked for a studio called, I think it's called Nuclear Kangaroo Music that I don't believe is active anymore, but it's in British Columbia. And uh, his full name is Michael Dan Beckett. He was a freelance composer for games and film. He didn't do a whole lot, but he worked on some small um, small film kind of stuff, some indie work. He was active from 1998 to 2008. 
Uh, he is most well known for the soundtracks to Cro-Mag Rally, which I believe is a Genesis Mega Drive game, uh, for Bugdom and for the Enigmo series, which to say he's most well known for those, I had never heard of any of those games before looking him up, so that probably says something. Uh, all of those games were developed by Pangea Software, and I, I think probably another kind of high-profile game, I guess highest profile, at least the property it's associated with, is SpongeBob SquarePants, A Day in the Life of a Sponge, which the soundtrack for that is pretty much what you would expect. Um, it's BGM, um, straight up, not really a lot of music that's going to take the spotlight in that soundtrack, but I'm sure that as you're playing through the game, it was nice to listen to. My favorite of his composition of his games was actually Sega Soccer Slam. The game itself looks like it's got some personality and the music was was pretty fun. But I did also think that the Bugdom OST was, was very nice. The forest theme is also um, a really nice song from Bugdom. Well, yeah, and with the uh, the Sega Soccer Slam one, um, you could tell that, you know, just because it's got the Sega name attached to it, he had a little bit more of a budget to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, I... Uh, I found that, you know, like these, uh, like the Bugdom one, it sounds very... indie, I guess? Um, like, it, it very much sounds like, uh wave files that he pulled off the internet in like 2000 or whatever and just kind of put a song together like i don't know if you heard it or not but there were a couple times in that song where i heard the wii sports sound uh like when you select in a menu and it goes bring huh yeah so yeah i think i know i think i know what you're talking about i'm kind of i'm kind of playing back through it so so yeah, like, uh, I mean, I don't mean any disrespect to him. Like, when I first got my first computer in 99, I did the same thing. Uh, you know, just grab a whole bunch of sounds and see if I can put them together and make cool music. But yeah, you use more, like, existing or, or stock sounds. Yeah, like, that. that's kind of what that reminded me of. Well, what song did, um, did you pick out from, from Beckett's body of work? Well, I had to go with Nanosaur, uh, just because of the name of it. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, honestly, I, I've i never heard of any of these games from uh, Mike Beckett's catalog. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to go with Nanosaur. And there were uh, three games in the series. Okay. Uh, Nanosaur 1, 2, and Extreme which may or may not be a, like a, an expanded version of two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, finding information on this guy was near impossible. Yeah, and even about most of the games that he worked on, it was also it was also pretty hard. Um, but it seems to have been where most of the info that that could be found was pretty much put together by really hardcore fans of the game, and that's it. So, but. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get into the the Nanosaur track you picked from. What is this track called? The Level Exploration.
was Level Exploration from Nanosaur, the first game in the series. Once again, composed by Mike Beckett. And that song was chosen by my special guest, Skeletroy. Uh, Troy, why What'd did you, you think uh, of that one? Why did you go? Oh, but I, I will go first, and we'll talk about why you picked this one. Um, I liked it. It's it honestly, and this might be because of the whole dinosaur motif. It reminded me a little bit of of the Turok sound. It's got that sort of mix of jungle, and then also the um, you know the the rock guitar, the bass, the drums, which definitely this sounded to me. This sounded like he had maybe a little bit higher budgets than he did for Bugdom. You know, with the drums and the bass, they sounded a little bit closer to... Uh, <laughs> I have a bad ear for these things. I think I mentioned that before. Are those real instruments? Because to me, it sounds like they could be. I'm honestly not sure about the drums, but I'm pretty sure the bass is. That thing sounded okay. good. Yeah, like when uh, that the bass, bass first kicks really in, really was the oh. star of the show. Mm-hmm. I like how it fades in. That at first you have sort of the the, the jungle percussion, uh, and then the bass comes in, and then you you hear the drums sort of give a backbone to the whole thing. I like the evolution of this really pretty short piece of music, and I could definitely see this working well for for like the background of of a level where you're like going through a jungle. Um, like hunting dinosaurs or whatever you do in this game. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's basically why I picked the song. Like, for being so short, it really builds incredibly well. Um, you know, starting out with just, like, the marimba and, like you were saying, you know, adding the, the bass and the drums and the guitar and, like, all those weird little effects going on in the background. Um, mm-hmm. A lot happens in a pretty short amount of time uh and yeah i just i really loved the sound of the bass uh when the drums kicked in they sounded great uh and that's basically why i picked this one um i mean after after going oh yeah i need to go with the the game with dinosaurs with laser guns <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> this is this I think is a it's a good example of the difference in my mind which is this is definitely not like dictionary definition here but the difference in my mind between a music producer and a music composer um, to me this is the work of a really talented producer there's not any super complicated uh, like theory work here um, or composition I mean it, it's a pretty simple track. There's not really even much of a melody, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's what's going on with the marimba, but, like, I wouldn't even call that a melody. You know, that's, that's more just keeping pace. But what is here is constructed very intentionally, and it's, it's put together really well. He has a really good ear for the sound that he's going for. That's really what I get out of, out of both this and about, and about Bugdom. Definitely. Whereas when we move to the the next composer, this is kind of exciting because I feel like this is a composer who is really just at the beginning of his career. The next gentleman we're going to be talking about is Satoshi Hori, who is a Capcom composer. This person was brought to us by Sprintcade, uh, my, my newest patron. And we're going to be playing two songs from the same game. 
Uh, to date, Hori is, uh, he has only worked with Capcom. His first work was for the mobile game Tsukuren, uh, and he has also worked on one game each in the Resident Evil, Street Fighter, and Monster Hunter series. I was trying so hard to figure <laughs> out which songs he did for the Street Fighter game. I, I couldn't find a list of, like, individual song credits, so it's just like, ah, let's go with this one that he actually did. Yeah. In my research, I'm pretty sure he did most of the like the stuff that wasn't a cover of the original, you know, compositional work. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did the um, the Way of the Hado side game where it's like first person you're throwing Hadoukens. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure he did all the music for that. But I mean, other than Mega Man, it doesn't really get much bigger in Capcom than these three series. So the fact that he has worked on one game in each of these series, I think it bodes well for him and for the future. Oh, for the sure. Resident Evil 7 is the Resident Evil game he composed for. And I listened through that track quite a bit, and I just could not land on anything. The thing about the Resident Evil games is they're so background and they're so ambient and they do exactly what they should do in a horror game but it doesn't really to me it doesn't make for very good just independent listening street fighter kind of the way that you were i wasn't a hundred percent even on the way of the hotto stuff that i found but the main reason we're playing two different tracks of monster hunter you've explained your reason for choosing a monster hunter track but the other track that we're going to be listening to and the one we're, i think we're going to move to next is sprintcade's pick and this is his favorite song from the soundtrack from monster hunter rise we're going to listen to beacon of peace once again, this was composed by Satoshi Hori. Tu oggi fu libero 
that was gorgeous. Yeah, well done. Well done, Sprintcade, with that pick. That was, once again, Beacon of Peace. This is the credits theme from Monster Hunter Rise. Man, that was that was good. This is this is composition. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't think I could think of a better credits theme like that. That was perfect. Yep. And it it it, it showcased there there were some some big swelling emotional moments, but then when it pulled back and it was just the uh the piano there was an oriental sounding uh strummed instrument in there as well that I couldn't really place. But yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on this one? What have you got to, to say about this track? You can always say more musically than I can. <laughs> uh well yeah, I mean like quintessentially, you know, like I'm saying, like that's that's the perfect end credits the like that's you know, the sort of song that just I I haven't even played this game and I it I just I feel all the mm-hmm. emotions. You know? I know like some people really don't like vocals in video game music and i mean credits themes are are an exception a lot of the times yeah i have i have an interesting relationship with vocals in video game music for for some reason at least with some people i've gotten the uh prof jeff actually once accused me of not liking vocals in video game music and i don't really know where he got it from but i must have said something at some point for the most part I, I do prefer instrumental video game music, but then there are tracks like this. Like you said, credits themes are an exception, but there also are sometimes just some vocal tracks that are really that are really funny, like really good in the moment. Uh, of course, you got the Great Mighty Pooh from uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day. There's a, we were talking about Grant Kirkhope a little bit before we started recording. There's a, like a phantom, like an opera ghost who sings in Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, and that's. Uh, that kind of thing, I think it can add an element of humor. But you're right. In this case, the vocals just complement the instruments so well and um, create this sort of, you know, the type of emotion you want from a credits theme. Well, yeah, and I mean, another thing about that is, you know, just because it's, you know, in a different language. Like, I, I listen to a lot of world music, like a, a mostly metal bands and whatnot. But, um, you know, like, I listen to a lot of Japanese bands and, like, Italian bands and stuff where, you know, I'll show it to my friends and they'll be like, well, this is really cool, but I wish I knew what they were saying. And, like, I get what they're, you know, I get that point on the one hand, but, like, just listen to it like it's another instrument. Exactly. Like, that, those vocals in this song were just gorgeous. I didn't even need to know what they were saying. Like that, it was just a beautiful instrument to go with a beautiful arrangement. Well, and it's kind of like one thing I always think about. There are two songs that come to mind when I have friends who have said the same thing. Growing up in Texas, I, I've i heard a lot of, uh, of Mexican, Spanish, and Latin music. And my dad has talked about, you know, not liking to listen to songs where he doesn't know the words, but then he'll go, you know, onto his rock and roll show and play La Bamba. (laughs) Um, And the Gypsy (laughs) Kings, of course, with their most well-known, I think, in the States, big mega hit is Bambolayo. You don't have to know what they're singing to just want to move to that song. And 
Um, exactly. This just, it, it is so quintessentially Japanese. Like, this could be an anime credits theme. It, it almost sounds like it could be something, like, from Nier. Uh, it's just, it's really good stuff. So for this particular soundtrack, uh, it looks like Hori was also uh, the music director of sorts. He wasn't the full-on sound director, but he was in charge of supervising all of the uh, music-related elements of Rise. Um, he created musical concepts for each monster and directed the other composers on some of the work that they did. And of course did some of the composing himself, like on the um, the two themes that, that we're playing tonight. Uh, he mentions in a, an interview on the Capcom Unity website that they um, used a lot of traditional Japanese instruments along with you know the standard uh, orchestral instruments that, that you'll hear. And he talked about recording orchestral performances, and of course, being with Capcom, like you said earlier with Sega, he had quite a bit of quite a bit of a budget. They did recording in Japan, LA, and London. And I thought one thing that was pretty cool is he said for particularly fearsome monsters and music that required a large sense of scale, they mainly used Abbey Road in London, which, you know, that's that's epic <laughs> right there. Yeah, that so, was cool. This, um, but just really, really good stuff. And uh, he mentioned you talked about, um, you know, the vocals in this track. He mentioned that the game's director, uh, Yasunori Ichinose, which that name just right there <laughs> sounds like he should be a composer because just just of those two names but um <laughs> but he wanted to have vocals for every piece and so while hori wanted to pay the proper respect to the existing music in the series while also creating new stuff he had to work vocal themes into those existing iconic pieces of monster hunter music because of the game's director wanting wanting that to be an element and everything. And so I do imagine that would be a challenge. This is a, a long-running and storied series in Japan. I've only ever played Monster Hunter 3, or try, before. Um, do you have much experience with this series at all? Uh, I only actually ever played... Uh, I don't remember which one came out on the 3DS... I think that tr there was a version of Try, but also 4. I liked it okay. Also 4, I think, was on the 3DS. I don't know. It just honestly just didn't click with me. Like, I know it's got a huge following, but, you know, not every game is for you. That's kind of my experience, too. I feel like this is a really big, like, online multiplayer game, because if you can get friends together to hunt these monsters, that's supposedly the ideal way to play these games. Now, Sprintcade also, just to give him a shout-out, he uh, gifted me and Shoot Kapow a download code for Monster Hunter Stories 2, which I think is probably more up my alley gameplay-wise, and I have yet to boot it up because I barely have any time to play games, but it is on my on my short list. So, Kate, I am going to be getting to that soon. <laughs> but for now, why don't we get to your pick from this game? What are you going to be bringing us today, Skeletor? Uh, well, I did initially want to go with the name puns again, because they had a song called Meows and Aries, but uh, maybe <laughs> if you guys do another cat episode, you can put that on there. Well, you know, I haven't uh, picked out a for real track yet, so maybe I can throw it in there. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the one I went with is called uh, Magna Malo.
that was the Magnamalo theme from Monster Hunter Rise, composed by Satoshi Hori. That was intense. That was definitely a monster fighting theme. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, to be honest, I found it kind of difficult to pick a song, um, just because they were all so good. This is a really, really strong soundtrack. I... I could put together a playlist, I think, of music just from this game. It's not really the kind of playlist I would normally put together because so much of what I, I play is either it's that old school melodic type of sound or it's kind of a like a, a rock-esque sort of tune. Uh, we'll be talking about more of, uh, I think, both of those kinds of things next week when you come back, but we'll talk about that a little later. This... It reminds me so much of Howard Shore and his work on The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, oh, yeah, I can hear that. I think just because it leans heavily on the strings and the vocals uh, with a little bit of woodwind in there, but you also have the uh, the traditional Japanese instruments, and of course Shore incorporated some world world instruments into his scores for, for things like with the orcs and the dwarves. I think if there had been more of a focus on any kind of sort of Eastern or Oriental themed um, culture in the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, that the music might have sounded something like this. It's definitely well put together. Oh, for sure. But yeah, this uh, this soundtrack, like, I'll, I'll be honest, I listen to it front to back. Like, I've, I'm honestly only vaguely familiar with Monster Hunter as a whole like I I don't know the music at all so like any of these reinterpretations are brand new versions to me mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah but um it, like I the thing that captivated me at first because uh, the, the the Monster Hunter game I played for the 3DS didn't have like this like Japanese vibe to it at all yeah so I started listening to the soundtrack and like I was instantly captivated. And then uh like you were saying about like the recording process, then I start hearing like the orchestral stuff come in. And uh like with with this song and uh a few others in particular uh like a really strong like Persian influence. And again like you were saying not the most melodic piece, like it's a boss fight. It's you know, it, it's more meant to have a whole bunch of pieces that it'll go through so that you don't get bored of the song while you're fighting this monster for 15 minutes. Right, yeah, this is a really nice looping song. But every single one of those sections are just fantastic. When I did my bonus episode this summer about the songs featured at the Tokyo Olympics, there were a couple of Monster Hunter themes played there and probably if there is a main theme across all of the monster hunter games it's probably the song proof of a hero and i i played the monster hunter 4 version i believe on the olympics episode because it, it sounded like the original proof of a hero but just like like the ultimate expression of it okay from what i understand the rise version of that wasn't very well received by the fans but I think that's because it was such an extreme departure. It's definitely not anything to do with the quality of the composition, because I thought it was really, really cool. Again, I don't, like you, I don't have a whole lot of personal attachments to the series, but it, there's definitely more of a Japanese flair to 
um, Satoshi Hori's interpretation of the Proof of the Hero theme. And so, um, I don't know, for me it was really cool. It was nice hearing that different version of it. But I can also see, like, I guess it's harder, um, you know, when somebody reinterprets a classic theme that you love a lot. I think sometimes they can they can get away with it, like when Yogo Shimomura did her own interpretation of uh, a Vegas theme, and it sounded um, so different from the original, but it also sounded almost like the fully realized version of itself. That was done by the same composer, and so I didn't mind as much. Well, but. yeah, it, it's <laughs> still her song. Mm-hmm. You know, it like it's not a cover if it's your own song. You know, it, it's just your own reinterpretation of it. And I exactly. think in that way, people are more receptive to things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, when you hear somebody else take this song that you love, and it's like, well, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. What give? What? Who told you that you could do that to my song? You know? Because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, people get attached to things like that. I mean, look at any reboot of a movie or a TV show. Yeah. Um, like, I, I know you're pretty adamant about the old Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there is a real um, soft if, spot but for with, me. But with every one of those reboots, you know, it's so divisive. Um, there's people that will cling to the old, there's people that will adapt to the new, and there's people that just sort of go with the flow. Yep. Yeah, I was, I don't remember why it came up, but just to get off on that tangent really briefly, the, uh, there was some talk recently, I think it might have been on Twitter, on some of the things I follow, where people were asking, like, favorite version of Turtles, and things like that, and there's a lot of love for the 2002 version, the sort of darker reboot that they did in the early 2000s. Yeah, that's my favorite. Um, And it does follow the comics a lot more closely. Since I was in just the perfect sweet spot for the the cartoon that started in the late 80s, that does have some nostalgic value for me. But for my money, I think the series that I really enjoy the most is the uh, the 2012 reboots the the CG animated one yeah um, yeah that one was yeah, really good too it was so much fun the voice acting was just fantastic and um, I watched it with my kids and so I think that's also probably quite a bit I just haven't gotten into Rise of the TMNT I I probably would enjoy it if I watched it but I saw the pilot and it was just so different and I wasn't really ready to jump into something so different right after finishing the the series before um, but. I mean, yeah, it's turtles. And I, I can't say. I know I shouldn't <laughs> be biased, but I hate the art style. It's so different. It's so different than anything it's ever been. Um, but there is some really good voice talent on the show, and so I think that might be what wins me over if I if I do dive into it. I am still super excited about Shredder's Revenge coming out. Uh, oh, next for sure. Year. That's going to be so great. And the music, of course, is going to be fantastic with T-Lopes behind it. That's going to be, it's going to be good stuff. So, but, you know, um, I think that Satoshi Hori coming into these series that have such a, such a pedigree behind them and being not just able, but being willing to add his own voice and sort of put his own spin on some of these things. It's pretty impressive, and I'm excited to see sort of where he goes. If Capcom, say, like, 
is brave enough to try out a new IP and wants to put somebody on it, I think that he would be a really good fit. And it'd, it'd be nice to see him do something that's just his, that's not, you know, building on a legacy that's already there. Oh, for sure. But when's Capcom going to put out a new IP? <laughs> yeah, the, the, these these game the big studios are just so established that you don't you don't see that that too often anymore. Uh, the next composer, though, that we're going to talk about is is a bit of a legacy in and of himself. His body of work is not as famous because he's never been attached to one of the major studios. But I was able to find out quite a bit about him, and he is—he's um, pretty well known in the um, the Japanese computer um, composition market. Uh, he also was associated with Treasure for a little while, and I am talking about our recommendation from Carlos Kung Fu Carlito. We are talking about Toshia Yamanaka, and I think in this case. Uh, Carlos did not give us a song, uh, so I think I'm going to let you play the track that uh, that you're bringing first. Um, just really briefly, uh, were you familiar at all when you started looking over this with any of Yamanaka's work? No, um, like to be honest, it's, uh, and I mean with uh, like this song in particular, um, I love like old school shoot 'em ups. And to be mm -hmm. honest, like, I feel like as a genre, like, pound for pound, they have the best soundtracks. So the, uh, you you take a, a, a shooter soundtrack and uh, everything that I've ever heard from the X68000 is just, it sounds so good. It It's almost like the Super Nintendo and the TurboGrafx-16 had a baby that was more powerful than either of them. <laughs> I, I just I need to dive into the library of this system because everything I've heard just sounds so good and so this is uh, this is a game that has some terrible English to it <laughs> a lot of these, like the PC-88, the FM Towns, the X-68000, um, a lot of them had, uh, they were either, um, they were either shmups with bad English or they were, um, adult themed games. <laughs> and, you know, uh, one of these, uh, these seasons, these even seasons, I'm going to do a season long focus on systems. And so... Perhaps when I do the X68000, I can bring you on, and that can give you an excuse to really dive in to the uh, to the system sound. I'm with you. Everything I've heard from this system is really fantastic. It's it's so outside of my personal experience, just game wise, uh, and so I don't I don't have a lot. But whenever I get to feature something from it, it's it's really exciting to me. We talked a little bit both on the. The Koshiro episode when we talked about the PC-88, PC-98, and last week, or a couple of weeks ago with Lee with Ben Daglish when we talked about like the Commodore 64 and the Amiga, it really is interesting that compared to their console counterparts of the time, like the NES and the SNES, and also the Master System and the Genesis, it's really crazy how much more advanced these PC systems were in the sound department. And it really does come through, I think. Like, I think the SNES might have been capable of, of higher highs, 
but it was also definitely capable of much lower lows. <laughs> and and I think Koshiro and um, and Yamanaka both actually complained some about what the way how they had to deal with with the SNES. Koshiro with Actraiser and Yamanaka with um, with Prince of Persia, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But uh, you know, I think that's we've given him pretty good introduction here. Uh, he was active from 1988 through 2003, and your soundtrack is a little bit closer to the uh, the beginning of his career than, than my track will be. Why don't you tell us what you have brought for us to listen to from Yamanaka-san? All right, let's see if I can get this right. This is Destructive Note from Night Arms, the Hybrid Framer. God knows what that means. Destructive note from Night Arms for the Sharp X68000, composed by Toshia Yamanaka. And I don't know if this is an alternate title for the track or what, but another title that I have seen for this particular track is Slapping Ball. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave it at that. This is good stuff, man. Yamanaka has this sort of jazz rock sound that is totally Carlos's jam. I think I can see why he recommended Yamanaka for this. And yeah, yeah. What, what do you what do you think? What what do you think about this track made you want to want to bring it to the show? Probably that uh, like synthy guitar solo. Like uh, I'm a sucker for programmed guitar solos. I I don't know what it is. You know, like you listen to uh, like the title theme for Maximum Carnage. Mm-hmm. That's got that awesome solo to it. Um, yeah, that I mean, that's 
basically what it was. I like the sound of the song. Yep. That's why I, I was going to go with another one. Um, but again, you know, like I always go to the title first and then I'm like, oh, I hope this is a really good song. Because there was one called uh, Banquet of Pterodactyls. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was an okay song, but what a title. I remember seeing that title. Uh, I listened through most of Yamanaka's uh, discography, and uh, this is the composer. I-, I could do a whole episode about Toshio Yamanaka. Uh, he's got a really, really distinctive sound that I think evolved through uh, his time as a composer, and it's it's just really good stuff. He mentions being influenced early on by, um, by Western rock and... Uh, also, you know, artists with, a, with sort of a, a jazzy feel to them. He referenced uh, Carlos Santana, Steve Vai, uh, Kazume Watanabe, and uh, Larry Carlton as some of his musical influences. All right on. And I think that you can definitely hear some of that in, like you said, that guitar solo. It's really, really good stuff. Well, even in the rhythm to it, too, like the, the it sort of had, you know, like this sort of dancey groove to it. The, the very Santana. Mm-hmm. I can hear it now that you've said it. And this game was published by Arsis Software, uh, which was also known as Cyberhead. That was the first uh, publisher or developer that, um, that Yamanaka worked with. He uh, His first game was Reviver for the PC-88. Now, he didn't go with them full-time until they developed the SNES port of Prince of Persia, which of course was on pretty much every system at this time. He mentioned that working with the Super Famicom for Prince of Persia was annoying. (laughs) Uh, He also said that it was a, a very difficult process because of how he had to... He was so used to working with FM audio on like the PC-898, the X68000, and systems like that. And then he moved over to the SNES, and he had to work with PCMs. And this was sort of the same thing that Koshiro talked about. He would actually, Koshiro would compose, when he composed for ActRaiser, he composed the stuff on a PC-88, and then he essentially sort of jury-rigged that into a soundtrack for the SNES. And um, Yamanaka seems to have done the same thing with the Prince of Persia soundtrack. And now I am not super familiar. I've heard it talked about on other shows. Uh, Pixelated Audio does a really good job of explaining this kind of thing. Um, what, what do you know about like the difference between FM samples and PCM hardware, things like that, like composing for one versus the other? Um, well, I mean, basically, you know, just to, to try and simplify this as much as possible... Um, like FM synth is frequency modulation. Uh, so that's, you know, your basic, like, uh, like you take, like, your square sound or your sawtooth or, it, like, yeah. the, the old sounding video game music that you hear, like the NES, yes. like the Genesis, like the Turbo. Uh, those are, I mean, there are exceptions because there's, you know, hardware and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but for the most part, those are all frequency modulation. Like, they're not actual instruments. They're just 
representations of them using manipulation of audio. Uh, whereas PCM is, it, it, to simplify it, it's basically samples. You know, like you'd record like strings or a bass or like a drum sound and uh, like you, for the Super Nintendo, you have to bit crush that. Oh thing. yeah, super compressed. Um, and I mean, that's that's why, you know, as, as the Super Nintendo like went later into its lifespan, and, you know, memory size is increased. The sound got a lot better. Like, there's... Um, but, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. you, you need to be able to have the space to store all those samples. Um, yeah. And, that, like, that, that's what makes it tough. And, y- yeah, that's... And unless you had either the technical wherewithal or the budget or the time to do something like that... It was just really, really hard. Koji Kondo had sort of an upper hand because he was working for, you know, the house that built the SNES. Shimamura came to it fairly late in the game when she was composing with Square, you know, and she could build on what people like, uh, like Nobuo Uematsu and Yasunori Matsuda had already done with her SNES work. Um, Koshiro actually did not compose a whole lot for the SNES, uh, but, um, and this was, uh, Prince of Persia was Yamanaka's only soundtrack for the SNES. I do want to mention, before I get to uh, to my track for him, um, one game I was interested to see is the cult classic for the N64, Sin and Punishment, which is, I believe that's an on-rails shooter style game. Uh, I've never played it, but it was, um, it was released in 2000, and it is... Uh, uh, it is a cult classic. There's a lot of love for Sin and Punishment in retrospect. I listened through to it, and the soundtrack is really, it's not super melodic, it's very atmospheric to me. Um, I think it would have fit well, uh, knowing the type of game and sort of the aesthetic that Sin and Punishment had, but that's the reason I'm not playing anything from it on the show. Um, Did you ever play Sin and Punishment on the 64? Uh, No, uh, I mean, as you know, I'm not the hugest N64 fan. Oh, but, right, um, right. When it came out uh, as a, a digital download for uh, the original Wii's eShop, I was going to download it, and I never mm-hmm. had the Wii points to do so. Because that, be- that was before they had right. PayPal and whatnot attached to it, and I was like, oh, I gotta... Yeah, I've almost gotten it a couple of times. I don't want to go buy a Nintendo card, so I <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those. Yeah. But yeah, it was one of those games that I meant to play because uh, I loved Star Fox 64. Um, that Like, that's one of the games that I'll defend the 64 to the death for. <laughs> um, and, I mean, if Sin and Punishment's also a rail shooter, then yeah, why not? Um, but yeah, I just, yep. I never got to it, and yeah. Just kind of slipped out of my hands when they shut the Wii shop down. I hear you. As much as I love Star Fox, uh, rail shooters are not my favorite genre, uh, and so that may be why I never picked it up. There was always something else, a platformer or an RPG or something else that I knew would, would get my attention more. But uh, 
but yeah, it definitely, there is a, I don't know his name, but there's an assist trophy in Smash, this little guy who zooms around the screen and fires lasers at you, who is like the protagonist of Sin and Punishment. And so it, it even has some representation there. I think it's either a first or second party Nintendo game, so so that's that's pretty cool too. Now, his last official game came out in 2003, and that is the game I'm going to be uh, featuring a track from. The game is called Dragon Drive. It was released for the GameCube, and that is all that I know about it. <laughs> um, I <laughs> I have no, no emotional attachment to this game at all. I actually never owned a GameCube. I did uh, rent one a few times the summer after it came out and played through uh, Sonic Adventure Battle and Smash with a good buddy of mine over that summer. But never owned one. Um, there's some really, really great stuff on the GameCube, and uh, the soundtracks are really nice. But I think what you're going to hear coming from that Night Arms track is just how consistent Yamanaka stayed with that jazz rock style. Uh, but we're going to listen to, from Dragon Drive, D-Master's Shot, looks like is the full name of the game. We're going to listen to the track Frontier. Frontier from Dragon Drive, composed by Toshia Yamanaka. And this whole soundtrack, this this sound is pretty indicative of the the OST, but this one, just the the synths and the guitar uh, and everything that they do in this song was just a lot of fun to listen to for me. What do you think, Troy? You you had mentioned being kind of a sucker for guitar solos. Um, um, well. <laughs> I, oh my god, I had to uh, stop myself from laughing. Because the, the, uh, the, like that synth guitar solo kicked in, and I was like, is he still using the 68,000? <laughs> and so then I looked up at the YouTube video that's playing, and it like it, it shows the, uh, the box art for this game, right? And I just pictured the lead 
guy on there, like, holding a key tire. And so every time I looked at that, that's what I saw. Like, I... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's Um, fantastic. I I really dug the song. It, um, but, like, it... Hardware aside, like, it's... It's the same. It is. It's it's really synth heavy. He was not going, you know, orchestral or uh, real music. This is this is still it's eighties as hell. This is who he is. <laughs> this is what he does. Exactly, and like like he knows he knows his area, and he does it really well. This sounds like something that could have been in like a Marvel versus Capcom game. Yeah. Uh, it's got that same sort of sort of jazz rock that fusion style to it. Yeah, because it's also got that, like, really high, like, pitch-shifted synth. But good stuff. And, Carlos, hopefully you're you're happy with these picks. I feel like this stuff is right up your alley. <laughs> and one thing I want to mention that I thought was pretty cool, uh, like I said, this is Yamanaka's last official title. He no longer works on video game music. He did say he would take the opportunity if it came up again. He did come back in 2013 for an album that served as sort of a sequel to the soundtracks of some games that he had worked on on the PC-98, 88 and 98, and that is the Star Cruiser series. In 2013, he came back for an album called Star Cruiser Yamanaka Toshiya Works. And I got this for an interview on Smupulations.com. He says that uh, the company was... um, Releasing a CD wasn't the original plan, but the copyright holder for Star Cruiser wanted to preserve their copyright and do something with the title, and so after some back and forth, they settled on the idea of doing a soundtrack. And so he wrote all new music for the series, but there was no game. It was just a soundtrack, as if there were a new Star Cruiser game. And so I thought that was really cool. I didn't listen to any of that because I actually didn't even find the album until after I was doing some research on it when we'd already picked our tracks. But I thought that that was really cool. And I am going to go, I think, and seek that out. He said that because of the hiatus he had taken from music, he actually had really bad writer's block. And he wrote all of the first songs he wrote, which were was pretty much enough tracks to fill up the album. He tossed them and he went back to the drawing board and redid everything. And oh, it wow. took like two years for the album to get finished. So, um, really, def- he definitely puts a lot of thought into his work and he doesn't want to let something go if it's not going to be really good. And I definitely mad respect for that. So, anything else about uh, Yamanaka that you, that you would like to say before we move on? Honestly, I don't really know enough about him to say anymore. I really dug the music. Yeah, I think we, we hit the high points. And of these first three composers, I really enjoyed all of it. But just this style resonates with me so much. So far, this, this has been my favorite pair of the nights. This is just a whole lot of fun. But the next artist who we were talking about is one who is is really special to me. This is the only one of these uh, these folks who I I know personally. And we've never met uh, in person because we live literally half a world away from each other. But I have talked to him so much. Uh, his voice has been on my show. My voice has been on his show. And I have talked before about Volt Supreme and his Scent VGM Dreamstream Machine podcast. And I was actually able to get some sound bites from Volts that I think 
I'm going to play the first one of now. We will let him introduce himself here really briefly, and then we will also have an introduction from him for each of the tracks that we play. G'day, Bedroth and Shoot Kapow. Fault Supreme here, sending you some love and intros all the way from down under. Um, I've been really enjoying the season of artist-focused episodes so far, so... Yeah, keep up, keep up the good work. And look, firstly, I want to say a big thank you to you guys. Uh, thank you so much for playing some of my tunes on your show. And secondly, an even bigger thank you to your Patreon member who has made this excellent, excellent suggestion. Yes, Ryan, thank you once again for that. And actually, I have had the opportunity to feature one of his tracks on my show before. Last year when I did BGM International, my 10th episode, which we recorded with Ed Wilson of the BG Embassy, I played a track from Caveman Boy because we were featuring composers from all around the world and Volts is Australian. And um, Volts was recommended to us by my patron Ryan Steele who is also a composer and who I interviewed last season for Catlandia. So there's just all kinds of, of podcast listener composer love going on. Because uh, also I'm talking about this with another composer friend of mine who composed my theme song. So uh, yeah, this this pair of tunes is, is really, really exciting. And I think I'm going to let you play your track first. And then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit, and I'm going to read um, a, a sort of biography of Volts that was written by a mutual friend of ours, and then we'll play my track and then move on. But but yeah, um, did you? I, I'm guessing that you learned about Volts through through my show. Had you heard of him before? Uh, well, it, it wasn't so much through the show. It was through the Discord server. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. You know, because... Because, uh, like, when I first joined up, I was like, oh, you know, like, these people seem kind of cool. Because, like, I'm honestly, like, and I know it's, like, probably one of my worst traits. I'm not a community person at all. Like, I I don't follow fandoms of things. I, like, <laughs> I, I yeah. basically only had Discord so I could play Borderlands with my friends. And then, uh... <laughs> So yeah, I joined the Bedroth server, and I'm like, hey, look at all these people. And it, like, it, you know, it's... The thing that I like about it is, you know, it's not... You know, it's not like a fandom about a specific game, or... You know, like, it, it's about music as a whole. And, you know, like you were saying, like, there's... Like, there's composers, there's arrangers, there's... You know, just fans of music in there like it honestly yeah. it's a great place to be and i need to be there more well thank you i i wish that a lot of people would a lot more people would come in and join i mean i don't want it to uh to you know get super overblown or anything like that but none of the bgm podcast servers really are uh the biggest one i'm on is probably the supermarcado bros discord and even that one is just it's a it's still it feels like a tight-knit almost little family of of listeners but what i do love about 
my server, which I, I think comes from the fact that I was already a fan in the VGM podcast team for so long, is like you said, we have we have composers, we have arrangers, we have podcasters, uh, we just have um, you know fans. We have like Forrest is a, is a YouTuber. He actually produces a, a really funny uh, pair of shows on YouTube that uh, they're on a little bit of a hiatus right now because he has some behind the scenes stuff going on too. But um, I will uh, we'll put some links in the show notes this time. This is the patron show after all. But it's it's a really it's a really cool place, and I I love. I love listening to, or I love hearing from the people who listen to the show. That's that's really one of the things that keeps me going. If I have only my seven patrons for the rest of the time the show plays, but I have people interacting with me, I'm going to be happy and I'm going to keep doing it. So, so thank you for that that plug there. Yeah, no problem. I kind of went off on a tangent there. Um, but yeah, like the the point was like you have the uh, the promote yourself section in in your discord and volts had posted uh i don't even remember what it was but when i listened to it i was like oh i'll uh check out all his stuff and yeah like i listened to caveman boy and i listened to uh uh, well we'll get to the one that you pick but yeah this uh this one that i i picked uh one shot zones Love this song. Love it. Let's get to it. Okay, so One Shot Jones originally comes from a project called Mighty Beats, which is inspired largely by the Scott Pilgrim game and other similar side-scrolling beat-em-ups like Streets of Rage, that kind of stuff. Anyway, the idea for the game was that each level would have its own theme based on a musical genre, and I was given the job of composing for the Western level. Uh, I'd previously released a um, Western music pack uh, for indie developers on some game development asset stores, uh, and that's what the lead developer had come across and liked. Now, I really love composing Western music, but it is a pretty broad genre of music. Uh, I definitely lean uh, very heavily towards the Ennio Morricone Spaghetti Western style of western music but anyway long story short myself and the developer had some communication problems i composed a number of tracks for this project but none of them fit what the developer had in mind i was under the impression that he wanted music um like what i'd composed for in my western pack which he said he really liked uh which is much less country music and more spaghetti western um but yeah, after a lot of back and forth, sending demo tracks, getting feedback, sending new songs, kind of over and over again for a couple of weeks, eventually uh, I discovered that he really wanted something more like a, a pop song by a country hard rock band or something. Something that really didn't sound like it was written for a game, but it was a song kind of brought in from a from a yeah country rock band. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, like, he wasn't very clear with what he wanted at the beginning, and I probably made a lot of uh, false assumptions, which which was a mistake on my behalf. But anyway, I haven't officially left that project, and they're still going. They're focusing on other levels, and have been for about three years now. Um, but I just repurposed all the demos I'd made for um, that game into some more songs to put in the music pack, which has ended up working 
very well as it's uh, yeah it's my most popular music pack so this song one shot jones came somewhere in the middle of this whole experience in between thinking they wanted western music and then finding out it was supposed to be more hard rock country and you can kind of hear that it's it kind of sits between those genres a little bit uh it's supposed to be a boss track the boss is actually a country singer with a guitar so he's a bit more cheesy than sinister and that's why the music doesn't really sound too intense one of the things I did do um, was make the percussion kind of sound like stomping and clapping. My intention with that was that it would sound like it was coming from a crowd of people um, like surrounding you, like a bar fight kind of thing. So, I don't know, hopefully that comes across. I also like that these Western songs have a lot of live recorded parts, which is not too common for most of my video game music. But anyway... Guys and listeners, thanks for letting me explain this track. I hope you all enjoy One Shot Jones. was one shot jones <laughs> and that's from the video game music pack western music we'll talk a little about that here in a second but but man that was fun 
<laughs> yeah, wasn't that awesome? So good, man. Um, but yeah, I listened to uh, several of the tracks in this pack, and um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I don't know if I just leapfrogged over this one, but I feel like this one this one would have stuck. What? <laughs> uh, you talk. This is your track. Tell me, tell me about your your reasons for this and what do you what do you love about this so much um well and i i guess we'll get to it next but um like part of the reason that i brought it to the show i mean part of it is just because it's an awesome song but um you know part of it is uh you know it's a like spaghetti western kind of song uh done by an australian brought to you by a canadian uh, so, like, I'm just kind of wondering what, you know, an authentic Texan thinks of it. Um, but, but I mean, more so than anything, like, you take the, the title of it, One Shot Jones, and you listen to the music, and, like, it, it paints a perfect picture of, like, the, the story of One Shot Jones, like, you know, being in the bar or whatever and the sheriff comes and like you can hear like the uh like the the stare down like in the the middle of the dusty road when they're you know draw pilgrim kind of thing um i oh like, yeah d- to me i hear a story in this song and the story like because you know like when the guitar part comes in in the middle and like it gets all intense and uh then at the end it like it goes back to that main uh like the the riff in the beginning uh to me that sort of like okay he beat the sheriff and now he's just riding off to his next adventure kind of thing so like to me it's a story that's what i heard in it and i just i love the instrumentation uh, I just I love everything about this song. It is it's so good, and Volts is so so good at telling stories in his music. Um, he's just he's such a smart dude. Uh, his entertainment skills are top notch. He's he's a DJ. He's a producer. He's a composer, and um, he he's played with live bands. He has a uh, a band with some with some friends in in the town that he is from. Uh, trying to remember, Wollongong, I believe, is the name of the town, and they have recorded. I think it's like eighty albums, <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. Oh, wow! Uh, he talks about that in his most recent episode, as as we're recording this, which he recorded with his friend who goes by Okie Doke is his uh, his sort of public persona. But <laughs> seriously. This guy needs more of a following. He's got 334 subscribers on YouTube, and I don't know why it's not at least 10 times that much. Um, he His talent is just immense, and I love his work. Uh, his podcast is fantastic. If you if you just want if you want some good music and if you want a laugh and if you want to hear some really excellent character work, go and listen to Volt Supreme's Synth VGM Dream Stream Machine podcast. There is some really really great stuff on there. You will not be disappointed. And the backlog is not that huge either. Uh, he's been doing this for about as long as I have, maybe a little bit longer. And so you know, it's 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 really 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 great stuff. Um, I think this is probably a good time to go into a little bit of Volta's uh, backstory. So, uh, 
And this is from a mutual friend of ours, Utopia Nemo, who is a an Uber fan of the VGM podcast community, has guested on several shows, and is always interacting in the discords. He's a really cool guy. Um, he and his kids are big fans of Volts' podcast. And so here's what uh, here's what Utopia Nemo is uh, has to say about Volt Supreme, the man, the myth, and the legend. Volt Supreme, host of the Synth VGM Dreamstream Machine podcast, is one of the more prolifically diverse and enigmatic VGM podcast hosts broadcasting content on the interwebs. Since his pilot podcast episode debuted in February of 2020, he's interviewed some of the most distinctive and wide-ranging guests about video game music. From world-class chef and music producer Oliver Ackhurst, to one-time well-dweller Little Thomas Thunbergen, to the legendary hip-hop historian and Brooklyn Karate Dojo master Donnie Smalls. While his early years are shrouded in mystery, Volts's meteoric rise to stardom began with the production of the now-mythical hip-hop debut album Full Ghetto, from the celebrated rap group Brooklyn BCMCs back in 1988-1990. It was reported by Mr. Smalls that Volts had actually recorded most or all of the vocals for the BCMCs on Full Ghetto under the nom de plume MC Boo Boo Plaster. Mr. Supreme's whereabouts between 1990 and the podcast's launch in 2020 are mostly unknown, although it's obvious from the show's broad spectrum of guests that he was no doubt cultivating his list of contacts and sources. Aside from running a podcast show, Volts is also a talented composer and synth aficionado. His synth unboxing videos frequently garner millions of views, causing bandwidth issues for YouTube, Dailymotion, and Vimeo. He's meticulously composed scores of, um, scores for such widely popular games as Adam's Ascending and Caveman Boy, as well as producing covers of tracks from lesser-known games like Final Fantasy VI and Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Volt Supreme's areas of focus in the podcast industry are incredibly diverse, leading some to question whether he's a real person or a fabrication of highly skilled marketing experts. Not only has Mr. Supreme interviewed celebrities like surfing superstar and California games apologist Seth Curry and controversial taxidermist Dr. Murray Swilcho, he even brokered one of the first on-air synthetic romances between AI robots Carmel and Cliptrip. Perhaps the most astounding of all, however, is that he seems to have achieved repeated contact with himself in other universes. Aside from Volts, the Synth VGM Dreamstream Machine podcast host, we've listened to Mr. Supreme broadcast live from the Unicornopolis Galaxy as the boozy host of Volt Supreme Synth VGM Dreamstream Machine Super Space Ace Radio Rodeo broadcast, and we've listened to him DJ as erstwhile SS Ranch Mount submarine pilot and schnog initiate Volts from the inky depths of the Black Sub Oceans. Heck, We've even commiserated with him as he tried to get a job at the Crispy Kraken, a bar on the villainous Scum Island, back in ye olden pirate days. One can only guess what Volt Supreme, if that is his real name, will come up with next. Yeah, I can't really add much of anything to that. <laughs> so, you know what? I'll just go ahead 
and lead into uh, to my song of Volts's. This is from a game that came out, I believe it was earlier this year. This game is called Adam's Ascending. I haven't played it, but you can go go check it out. Go look it up. Uh, the soundtrack, though, is, is really good stuff. And uh, Volts actually had a couple of things to say about these songs. And so we will hear Volts' words about this track when we come back from Final Ascent. So interesting that this song got chosen. Adam's Ascending was a pretty big project for an indie game. Um, the developer Nick DiPaolo was really ambitious, and it was it ended up being a bit of a, a no man's sky kind of situation when it came out. Um, it was his first proper game he developed, and he was basically starting from zero development experience and trying to pull off this massive third person sci-fi adventure to his credit he really persisted with this game for many years and came a long way with it i think there's some really cool ideas in this game and it has a lot of potential still but unfortunately it was released via the uh steam early access thing and in its state it's it's pretty broken um I'd love to share this game with people. I spent a long time working on the soundtrack for it, but it's just got some really serious issues that need fixing before I can uh, honestly recommend that anyone check it out. I think the main issue for me is that there's no save function in the game. 
and when you release a game early access full of bugs being able to save or having an auto save function for me is pretty essential so anyway this could have been a pretty uh, great game but I think it was just way too ambitious for one developer so but you can go you can go check it out I think it's pretty cheap it's less than ten dollars so unfortunately this game in its current state it hasn't got much love and the soundtrack hasn't got much attention either I kind of knew that when I was releasing the soundtrack uh, which was supposed to be just for Adam's Ascending episode one I think I really knew that this would be it and that there would not be an episode two soundtrack which is why I included a lot of tracks that never actually got used in the early access game and this track that you've chosen Bedroth is actually one of those tracks um so the scene was the scene it was supposed to be in was like this last run towards the peak of this kind of supernatural mountain which is like a centerpiece of this island you find yourself on and you kind of unlock this mountain as you complete the game probably doesn't make much sense and I don't really have time to go into it but essentially this level or this scene in the game was a bit like a montage and you'd be running up this hill and all these images um, from your past gameplay experience would appear either side of you as you were going up and you'd kind of go through sections of all the different um, not worlds but you know places you'd experienced playing the game so the song has a bit of a cheesy montage vibe to it I think my favorite part is the big um, yeah ultra cheesy drum fill just before the big 80s style synthwave drums come back in uh, anyway look this scene never got included in the early access version so it's technically not in the game uh, so there's not a lot to say about it but hey I hope you enjoy so I think this definitely has that sort of mysterious desolate but epic sounding motif that you want in that sort of music what did you think of this one Troy oh for sure I um also, just looking at the uh, like the album art on mm-hmm. YouTube, um, you know, like you see uh, like this futuristic looking guy at the bottom of like this like spacey looking mountain, and uh, I mean, again, like the music goes perfectly with that because like you get like the the tribal drums going right, and uh, you know that it it gives you a very primitive vibe to it and then all these lush synths come in and you get the spaceman kind of vibe um and i absolutely love how uh you know with a game called adam's ascending how he uses the uh the main melody in different octaves oh yeah to to give that feeling of ascension Volts is a master synth chef. That is his. Uh, that is his modus operandi. Uh, it's definitely his instrument of choice. And I really, my favorite part of this whole thing was when the uh, when the drums came in um, between the two minute and two thirty mark. Oh, I stopped paying attention because I was <laughs> air drumming. <laughs> it's just so so good and oh. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I love about this medium, 
is you can have the backing of a gigantic corporation that's been around for decades like Capcom and have access to recording studios like Abbey Road and the Monster Hunter Rise soundtrack as we mentioned is fantastic but this that was made by one guy in his studio is as good as anything we have listened to tonight this this was phenomenal and yep. that's that's one of the things I love. If you have got the talent and the uh, the ability to um, you know to use the tools that are just so freely freely at our disposal now, you can come up with something just great. And I wish that this had as many listeners as <laughs> the Monster Hunter soundtrack does, because I think if more people knew about about Volts's music, we would hear a lot more of it. And that would that would be a win-win for everybody. So, Ryan, thank you so much for recommending Volts to us. Uh, Utopia Nemo, thank you for sharing those uh, those thoughts about about Volts and his background. <laughs> Volts, thank you for being such an awesome person. And uh, Skeletor, do you have anything else you would like to say about Volts and his music before we move on to our last composer of the show? Uh, thanks for doing what you do and keep it up. Absolutely. Very good. Well, both of our last two tracks are going to be chosen by my special co-host because they are from the composer that he recommended for the show. And I'm going to let you decide the order, let you talk about them a little bit, uh, because I don't have any experience with, uh, with this composer. I have a little bit of experience, as most of our generation does, with this game series. But who are we going to be talking about to close out the show? Uh, so we're going to go with uh, Kazunaka Yamane. He, uh, he did most of the Double Dragon series, except the third one, the bad one. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I know there's people that like that one. I, uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, like he, uh, he even came out of retirement to do uh, the soundtrack for Double Dragon 4. Um, and... Uh, there are a lot of new, uh, a lot of new songs in that, but, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just go with that one. Uh, so from Double Dragon 4, this is, uh, the theme of Williams and Linda, although probably most of you just know it as, like, the stage one theme from Double Dragon.
Alrighty, and we're back with uh, the theme of Williams and Linda from Double Dragon 4. Although you can find that in, uh, I think, three or four different Double Dragon games. Uh, I really mm-hmm. like the one from Double Dragon Neon. But um, I went with this one just because uh, I feel like this is almost how I heard these songs when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, like going back to uh, like to the NES version, and especially the arcade version. Um, like I have fond memories of that, but geez, those instruments don't sound good. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, like the, you listen to the arcade version of that guitar solo. That's good. It sounds like bees in your brain. <laughs> Yeah, it's not super great with uh, with the earbuds, but um, it, it is really cool when these composers can come back and do this fully realized version of this. I, I mentioned that back on the Asnori Matsuda episode when he released the uh, the albums in the uh, the 2010s. Uh, there was a, a tribute album to the music of Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross that he released in 2015, 20 years after the uh, release of Chrono Trigger. And he said that is when he feels like they were finally realized. And um, on, I believe it was on the uh, Olympics episode again, I played a version of the Final Fantasy title theme from Final Fantasy VIII, and I specifically picked that one because Uematsu said that is when he feels like his composition was fully realized. So it's really cool to hear Yamane come back and be able to fully realize his still very, very 80s-inspired rockin' soundtrack. But man, that guitar solo was... we don't use words like this very often on the podcast, but there's not a better word for that guitar solo than bitchin'. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's uh, that's one of those songs that like, I can firmly point at and be like, this is why I like video game music. It's a classic, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just great. Like, I, I had the Game Boy version of Double Dragon, and even that one sounds good. I'm not a huge fan of these kinds of lists because they're so subjective, but if I were going to make a list of, like, these are, let's say, the 25 songs from a video game that you still remember that you heard growing up, this would be on that list. Like, even for guys like me, who... I never played a whole lot of Double Dragon because beat-em-ups weren't as much my jam. I was an only child, and so I didn't have a whole lot of people to play them with. But even I, I know this, this song. Like, I've known this song for 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's really cool, though. So so we're going to go from Double Dragon 4 to Double Dragon 2, it looks like. What are we going to be moving on to next? Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, we're going to be chilling out a bit more for uh, the last song of this episode. Um, Yeah. to be honest, like, there's really nothing flashy about this one, but, like, if it doesn't get your head bobbing, I've done something wrong. <laughs> this is uh, Mission 2 from Double Dragon 2 The Revenge, although in the arcade, this was uh, the song for Mission 1. Okay, and what version are we going to be listening to? Uh, the NES one. Because, again, I don't like the sound of bees in my brain. (laughs) All right. 
Well, let's go and listen to the NES version of <laughs> this mission's music from Double Dragon 2 The Revenge. So uh, we're back, uh, and that was Mission 2 from Double Dragon 2 The Revenge. Uh, I love that bass line. Uh, like, it, it's so good. Um, the, uh, like, everything else on top of it, like, I feel just kind of gets you, like, going. Um, but, like, the bass, it's, ah, oh, it's so good. It is. We've had some nice bass on this episode, and I'm glad we got to got to get a little bit of that sweet, sweet triangle bass from the NES before we close things out. Um, this is such a nostalgic sound font for me, and uh, you can tell. I mean, you can tell Yamane knew what he was doing with this sound chip. This was good stuff. And uh, the other thing that I really liked about this um, is uh, at the very end where uh, like. I guess it would be, uh, like that arpeggiated part, and then it just kind of leads back into the, the loop. Because I find that, like, it breaks it up really well, uh, but at the same time, like, th this is one of those songs that you can kind of listen to over and over, like, it's, it's almost a perfect loop, yeah. even though it has a, a specific break in it. Yeah, the loop is, it's deceptive in that way, and that is one of my favorite things about some of these old, uh, of course this was a claim, but uh, th these old, uh, like the Konami and Capcom, the side-scrollers and things like that, is you could listen to them for 30 seconds or you could listen to them for five minutes and it was about the same they they just, they were really skillfully put together and, and very nicely done and uh yeah, I really enjoyed this. This was this was a good track. Oh, I'm glad you dug it. It was weird because when I uh, initially picked Yamane, um, like the the original Double Dragon soundtrack, like the whole thing, it means a lot to me. Uh, as you know, like as I was saying, like it was where I really first started paying attention to video game music. Um, but like it. 
it almost legitimized video game music for me. Um, just in terms of how the compositions were, uh, you know, it, it was a lot closer to being like songs that you'd hear on the radio. Yeah. Rather than just uh, little loops. And uh, I find Double Dragon 2 kind of takes a step back in that sense. Like, these are definitely video game loops. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a good song's a good song. Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. And I, I did listen through to Yamane's uh, playlist as well. With some help from a fan, I might be able to put together a full list. I could definitely do a uh, Double Dragon series showcase on, on the show. Um, his other work was a little bit more hit and miss. You mentioned like, like the one-hit wonder concept, and I guess in uh, in this case, the, the one hit would be the series. <laughs> but it's uh, I, I did feature a song on my... I've started recently doing a random BGM of the day on Twitter and Discord, and a few days ago I did feature a song called uh, Kunio Tachi no Banka, from the Super Famicom game Shin Niketsu Kuha. Uh, the English name of the track is Beauty and the Beast. This was composed by Yamane, and it was really it was really fun. That soundtrack is it's different. It's pretty cool. This particular track I liked quite a bit. The, uh, the one soundtrack that he did that really resonated with me because it was kind of nostalgic for me. It's I think it's the only one of these games I played a lot when I was a kid, but that's the soundtrack for Super Spike V-Ball. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar at all with that one? Uh, yeah, I actually was really close to picking the, uh, like, the ending credits theme from that, because that's, again, just a really good song. Uh, I haven't played much of the game, to be honest. Uh, but I... I listened to the whole soundtrack, and, uh, yeah, like, that credits theme is so good. The ending theme is really good. The, um, oh, one of the matches, I want to say maybe, oh, I also like the game mode select. I came close to that one, I think. But either the Vegas match or the Los Angeles match. These tracks, though, I mean, this was 88, 89, and the, the songs in Super Spike V-Ball are much shorter, um, much shorter loops, except for the ending credits theme. But I did play this uh, quite a bit when, um, you know, growing up. I, I don't remember a whole lot about it, but uh, the sprites were nice. It was fun. It's one of those titles that it's kind of like a, it's Kunio adjacent. <laughs> uh, the, the characters look like Kunio characters. And so... I mean, Double Dragon and Kunio-kun are two of the, the biggest retro game series, and so I think having some representation in both of those. Um, Yamane is probably better known than most of the other composers on this list, just because of the pedigree of these games. So, a nice way to, nice way to close out the night, I think. Indeed. And yeah, so, on that note, um, Skeletroy, thank you once again for joining me. I'm, I'm excited because this is not the last that our listeners are going to hear from you this month. You're actually going to be coming back next week as we talked about talk about one of our mutual favorite composers, this time with Shukapau in tow. Who are we going to be talking about one week from today? 
Oh, this is going to be fun. We're going to be talking about Naoki Kodaka. And this has been a long time coming. Naoki Kodaka is the composer who just might have brought us together. Uh, When I first started the show, I wasn't really on social media yet. But one thing that I was kind of doing to network is I was really exploring the VGM like cover arrangement and remix community on YouTube, listening to a lot of stuff, commenting on things, and just kind of, you know, putting some feelers out there to see who else was kind of in the scene. And I came across your Thrash Remix channel, and specifically some of your work on Kodaka's tracks. And Kodaka is my favorite NES composer. I'm on the record saying that on uh, BG Mania, um, the uh, the show that Brian from episode three of this season hosts, and uh, I just can't wait. This is going to be a blast. Now, speaking of blast, there are only two tracks on next week's playlist that were not that are not going to be chosen by you, and those are the tracks from Journey to Silius and Blaster Master, and. Uh, I've got kind of a special surprise in store there, but all the rest of the playlist is stuff strictly from you because I've already gotten to kind of help curate a playlist of Kodaka tracks on another podcast, and I'm sure I'm going to play more of my own favorites on this show, like I already have, but I really wanted to hear, because I know you love Kodaka a lot, I wanted to hear what you had to say about him, so I'm excited. I'm not going to spoil too much more right now because everybody will get to hear it next week, but really excited about that. And we've got some fun stuff planned for the rest of the season. Uh, we have a couple more bonus episodes, as I've mentioned. One around Halloween and one uh, late in November, probably around Thanksgiving, where we're going to feature some of Shukapau's and my own compositions. I'm a little nervous about that one, but uh, not for his tracks, because they're good. But mine are... It's been a while since I, I did anything musical, so we'll have to see if these stand up. <laughs> I have a couple more guest spots with uh, Alex Messenger, who I mentioned is going to be talking about Mick Gordon with me. And Prof. Jeff is going to be discussing one of our favorite composers, who is also one of Shuka Pals. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But of course, episode 11 of this season would not be complete without my episode 11 guest, Prof. Jeff. A couple of really big name composers who we're going to be taking some specific looks at later this season. And possibly an interview in the works with a composer who a lot of you know and will enjoy quite a bit. But yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and give one more shout out to my patrons. Thank you all so much for making this episode possible. Uh, Sprintcade, uh, thank you again for your recommendation of um, Satoshi Hori. Uh, Forrest, thank you for um, bringing Mike Beckett to our attention. And best of luck in your future endeavors with The Bomb Show and with Castle Corp. And uh, I know that recently, fairly recently, you have... Uh, moved. Your homestead is now in a different state, so hopefully that is all going well. Thank you so much for continuing to support us during that time. Carlos, Kung Fu Carlito, my buddy, my good pal, thank you for Toshio Yamanaka. Really, really enjoyed his music, and best of luck to you on your Heroes 3 podcast that I have talked about on the show quite a bit. Ryan, thank you not only for composing one of my favorite games that I've played this year and one of my favorite soundtracks in Catlandia Crisis at Fort Pawprint, but also for bringing our mutual podcast fan, my fellow podcaster, and just all-around amazing composer, Volt Supreme. And uh, 
Troy, thank you for uh, joining me on the show, for coming back next week, and for bringing some uh, Kazunaka Yamane. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Alex the Messenger Messenger, patron saint of VGM Podcasts, and as always, the mysterious Nathan. And yeah, I think that's it as far as patrons. I also really appreciate our artists. Also, Skeletroy, one of which... uh, you are, <laughs> as my, my theme song guy. <laughs> but thank you, Naomi and Ben, and again, Carlos, for the artwork that you bring to the show. And I think that that's about it for me. Uh, Troy, you'll be back next week, but is there anything that uh, that you would like to plug in particular? Geez, not at the moment. I got everything under wraps. Um, <laughs> subscribe to my YouTube channel, mm-hmm. uh, youtube.com slash Skeletroy. Uh, there will be new stuff there sometime soon. Ring that notification bell so that you'll find out when the new stuff comes out. <laughs> I can't say when for sure, but it'll be soon. Well, I will definitely be be there to check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's been a blast. Been a pleasure. We'll have to uh, to not wait. Um, what's it been? Eight months before you come back uh, after the Kodaka episode. <laughs> and yeah, well then I think all that's left is, as always, everyone, play very good games, be very good people, and keep listening to very, very good, good music. music. go ahead and do the intro then and you'll just uh, you'll say Shukapau's lines in the intro and outro I guess um, yeah. uh, so Greens Gamers I'm Bedrock, you're Skeletroy you're listening to very good music and then you say a BGM podcast and then we just kind of start and yeah, oh I got the I'm a pro by now by this now is yeah my second episode it is <laughs> <laughs> again this song has a really nice sense of evolution to it, a really nice build. Um, it <clears throat> I'm trying to find my words. The... Hmm, I just had to shoot one of my it's kids. that good that it left him speechless. <laughs> I had to shoot one of my kids away and I've lost my train of thought. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. Ugh. I just realized I think I've got the back of my mic facing me, which might be why I'm so quiet. (laughs) (laughs) But we will, uh, it actually matters with my new mic because it's not omnidirectional. But, uh, well, maybe our Kodaka episode, I'll I'll sound just just slightly better, but but we'll see. All right, so you can read us back in whenever you are ready, sir. This is from a game that came out. I believe it was earlier this year, earlier in 2020. Uh, have not played the game, um, but you oh, can go... Oh, you did that uh, pandemic skip a year thing, didn't you? Oh, I did. did I say 2021. And I almost the earlier... end of 2021. <laughs> it's earlier in 2021. Uh, well, there's something for the blooper reel, at least. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... 